There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today, we've got a crazy nuclear revenge story of taking out a loan in someone else's name. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, shaming my father. I was born into a rich home with two parents and three younger siblings. Or maybe I'm being a little dishonest. Let me add some backstory. My mother was a biracial child who, to her own mother's chagrin, was more black than white. To attempt to bridge that gap, she was put in an all-white school and had hair straightened for the longest time. My grandmother was my grandpa's second wife, and he had children from his first wife that were already adults, and her mother was barely older than his oldest. I guess in a way it does make sense, because all my step-uncles and aunts have respectable professions. One of them is a billionaire violinist. That's how snobby rich my family is. Anyway, my mother's mom attempted to control her life in every way she could, down to who she married. So she made an acquaintance with a business rival of her husband's to join their families together as a pact of business partnership. Thus, my mother was betrothed to my father. Regular snobby rich people crap. Because they grew up around each other and knew of their betrothal, my parents were an unofficial couple among the children of the elite and they got to mess around for a bit. Somewhere along the line, they separated for college, and by the time they met up again, my father had fallen in love with a white woman, and some of his new ideals were a bit racist. Which is weird because my grandparents roll their eyes at the things he says sometimes. Anyway, back to the story. Because my dad had a whole other relationship with this new girl, it sounded like a whole new scandal for the rich community. If there's anything the rich ones hate, it's scandals new ones especially. There were whispers and my dad's parents immediately asked him to shut them down. Shutting them down meant breaking up with his new lover. He couldn't do it and instead opted to break up with my mother instead. My mom was focused on making a name for herself in her chosen field, so she didn't mind much. It gave her time away from having to attend galas and all those events. The thing about betrothals is you didn't do it yourself. Someone else did it for you, so you can't call it off yourself either. No matter how much my dad tried to explain himself and prove that it was mutual between him and my mother, neither parents would take it. It was a few long years of fights, running away, and threats of being disowned before both parents agreed to get married to each other. My mother said my father swears it was because he found out his lover was cheating on him, but I don't really care for the finer details. Soon after they married, my dad started sleeping around and started another scandal. This started to anger his parents because how could he represent their name if he was out there in the wild behaving like this? When my mom got pregnant with me, he slowed down, and when the doctor said that my mother had an STD that he gave her that might affect me, he felt so bad and was inclined to stop completely. He was supposedly sweet the remainder of my stay inside my mom's uterus, but all of that stopped the minute I popped out. Remember what I said about my father being racist? Well, he was convinced that my mother had cheated on him with another black man, which was why I was so dark. Considering my mother was mixed and much lighter than me, I could really see where he was coming from. After a stern talking to and a few DNA tests, my dad finally shut up about me not being his child. 
but he didn't get over his disdain for me. As much as my mother wanted him to like me better, she made sure not to censor parts of me that were censored in her when growing up, like wearing her hair however she liked. I always got to do whatever with my hair since I can remember, and there have been zero questions about that. Regardless, I grew up knowing my own dad liked me less because of my skin. It didn't help that all of my three siblings were so much lighter and even white passing a lot of the time. I didn't hate my siblings though. I couldn't. They never did anything to me. My parents are rich people and rich people are weird. My father could care less about me and my mother was basically left to raise me on her own. Her rules for me were few. Go to school and study a respected degree if you want your father to be proud of you. That's all I lived for. My father's approval. And I did it to the point where I nearly drove myself mad. From kindergarten right up until high school, I don't remember having any friends that stuck because I'd heard my father preach to my siblings countless times about not keeping friends. Even though the rule became lax by the time I was in middle school, a part of me wanted to show that I could be obedient even when he didn't need me to be. It almost got the best of me until I made a friend in 11th grade and we just never separated. We went to the same college and were roommates until we graduated and decided to move to New York City and figure out what we were going to do with our young lives. I already knew what I wanted to do, but for fear of embarrassing or shaming my father, I kept it all under wraps. New York was the perfect place to spread my wings creatively while still getting to live a slightly less glamorous life than I was used to. But I was living with my best friend, and so nothing could go wrong. My little secret life away from my parents was being an artist, and they could never know or they would take it all away from me. I've always been crafty with my hands, but my parents are neat freaks who couldn't stand the thought of anything going on their pristine white walls, so I only had the opportunity to do any art in art class. I used to mainly toy with pottery and ceramics, and I still do, but holding a paintbrush to canvas was where I excelled the most. I was really good at it, so much that my best friends, who I'll call May for the purpose of this video, approached me to tell me how good I was. A little backstory on how May and I became friends, the art room in my high school was barely untouched because most of the students were in the more serious clubs like science and whatnot, but the room was always free to use. There was a teacher who looked after it as well and she was usually quiet and let me stay in the room much longer than I had to. One Friday, we had a half day at school and while students usually were not allowed to stay back late, I was given an exception because of my involvement with the art room. I didn't know how much time had passed until someone burst into the room and out of fear I yelled. Apparently it was two people yelling back at me and I saw a girl and a boy who just looked like they'd been locking lips. I was looking at both of them and the girl was looking at my art. She ended up shooing the guy and convincing me that my art needed to be in museums. I didn't want to tell her that my dad would kill me so I just went along with it and it made us hang out more often, until one day she said that her uncle worked with an art gallery and her dad had a side gig, restoring old and defaced paintings. Basically, she could push my art if I would just say the word. Money had never been my issue, and as much as I loved art, I also really loved my family and I wouldn't want to disappoint them this way. So I turned her down. But we spoke about all the reasons why I couldn't pursue art further, and May promised to help me find a way to keep practicing. She got me artsy gifts every time she had the chance to, and what seemed like a friendship formed based off a mutual love for art blossomed into the sweetest relationship in my life. 
It was also May's idea to move to New York because her family lived there and I could get my start on being an artist while my family was none the wiser. In their minds, I was a marine biologist who had just gotten a job with a startup company. The only reason my father wasn't pushing for me to join his friend's companies was because I really sold the dream of learning to love on my own to him. New York was my opportunity to do things my way and I made sure to live like that. I partied, went out on dates, did art and even started a second degree in art history. It was all so fun and fascinating to me that I didn't even see the bad experiences as remotely bad. Crap weather? At least we can wear what we want. Bad date? You win some, you lose some. Bad street food or dining experience? It's all a part of these things. My original plan was to take all of my art seriously but also do it on a smaller scale so that I could make a decent amount of money while not being too celebrated that I would reach my father's corner of the internet. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It was a small corner, but information sifted through every now and then but it seemed like the universe simultaneously wanted good and bad for me. I submitted a few of my works to a gallery to display at their upcoming exhibition, and all of my art was bought at once. The gallery asked me if I wanted a solo exhibition, and after I agreed, I had to go on a seven-month-long painting spree to prepare. It was really hard for me because I'd started feeling very weird things that I wasn't used to. Usually, I was in my head long enough to mask how I was truly feeling, but in this instance, I had to feel things and use those feelings to put things on canvas. May also introduced me to a lady who did therapy and yoga, and while that might sound outrageous to you, it was the best thing I ever tried. Either made you throw up violently, or cry until you fall asleep. Whatever happens though, you feel so much better after a session. Just a month before the exhibition, I made some headway with my therapist and it felt like I was ready to be honest with my parents. I hadn't studied marine biology like they picked for me. I did something else that made sure I could also do art. I knew they would be disappointed, but hey, at least I was making a reasonable amount of money. I hadn't seen my family in nearly six months, so initially they were all elated to see me. And by them, I mean my mother and three younger siblings. My father continued to ignore me like always, but this time it felt different. Now, I know why people always say, listen to your gut, because if I had listened to mine, I wouldn't have needed to go there and face all of the humiliation I did. But I went there anyway. After my first weekend home, I let my family walk in on me doing art-related stuff, like returning from the shops with art supplies, or setting up in my little brother's former shed to do art. 
My mother kept asking what it was all about, but I told her that I would let her know about the same time I let my father know. She looked horrified, but I made sure to assure her that all would be well and it wasn't something too weird. I could see her visibly calm down and she asked me to think carefully and be safe. The fact that she had no idea what I wanted to do or say but needed me to think carefully was already enough reasons to pack my things up and go back to New York, but I blamed anxiety and carried on. Oh, the ways I would have gotten the heck out of there if I had known. Anyway, here's what went down. It was Sunday and the rest of my family had returned from church. I lied about visiting a friend from college's church so I could have some alone time and take a walk before they came back. And just as I came from the walk and all the faces were stormy, I had a much healthier relationship with food and I'd started eating breakfast so I assumed they were just hangry or something. I offered to make brunch and my mother calmly told me that my dad needed to speak to me in their bedroom. I don't know what it's like in other homes, but in mine, entering our parents' bedroom either meant very good or very bad. My alarms didn't start going off until I entered into his bedroom and he locked the door behind me. Immediately, my father started to scream about me being a sex worker in New York and blaming himself forever sending me far away for college. I was so confused that I immediately started to explain myself but I was met with a slap that honestly confused me further. I don't want to go into too many details, but I was beaten up so bad that my entire body had really bad bruises, and I couldn't do much but cry for a week and stay locked up in my room. It was a little confusing what happened, and I couldn't exactly place my feelings towards it. But as I healed and talked to May more, I was full of anger. Why would he do that to me? Over what was likely a rumor. My mother and I spoke about things and I was honest with her, but I was also 24. While I appreciated my parents' blessings, I didn't need them to survive anymore. I got into college on a scholarship so he didn't need to pay a dime, and after helping with accommodation for the first year, I dealt with everything else myself, and I mean by myself because I had a job and some savings my parents wisely put away for college. I'm not complaining because there were way more people who had even wealthier parents and they suffered worse or had to turn to harmful measures, so I wasn't really underprivileged if you think about it. It was also where I realized that by not being surrounded by snobs, there were other ways to live. The fact that I also seemed like an outcast for my family must have been what made these guys like me even more because when they said eat the rich, they meant it. There were kids who were so rich that they were the best kind of tree huggers. But I digress. My mother and I spoke about things and she basically helped me break out, promising that my father would be fine. It was the first time she was completely on my side and my heart was warmed. When I got back to New York, May's first itinerary was to get back into therapy, but I wanted to use my anger against my father and not just heal. He was a racist piece of crap to his own child and deserved the worst for it. Before I agreed to let May use her connections in the art community for me, she had attempted to drag me into modeling with her. For fear of my father seeing me online, I turned it down. But my best friend had been working on a swimwear line with a really popular fashion company, and because we'd worked on a lot of it together, she offered to pay me. As a best friend, I felt guilty, but May insisted. I told her I'd think about it and give an answer before she had to launch. My answer was that I wanted to be a model for the brand instead of getting paid. Modeling for a brand that big meant billboards with my half-naked body all over New York. Can you see where I'm going with this? I think you can. 
Right after, my exhibition came up and I was too busy to worry about my father. When things had calmed down a little, I had a chat with my mother and while she expressed motherly concerns about the skimpiness of my clothes and how little sleep I was getting, she also seemed proud of me. My father had not shown his face in church since the images dropped and his blood pressure was through the roof. As a little extra gift, I mailed him a Christmas card of me and I on the front topless and in a seductive pose. No boob was shown and we weren't actually topless, our shoulders were just bare. And my siblings called to laugh about it and inform me that he had to be taken to the hospital. It might not seem that much, but it took a lot to embarrass my father or make him anything but stoic and pissed. A hospital trip was barely child's play. In the least judgmental way possible, I just have to say, almost a great way to ensure that your kid does act out and do things that you're afraid they would do is to shelter them hardcore and try to censor the world around them. It's kind of like the idea of preaching abstinence as the only protective measure involving sex. Due to hundreds of thousands of years of human nature and behavior, that's almost guaranteeably not going to work. That said, our next story is, took a loan in her name and now she can't pay back. Being a cheerful giver can be really tough sometimes, but that's just how I was raised. My father used to be something of a philanthropist. He was the most generous person I knew growing up, and probably still is. I don't know, since we don't live together anymore. I always saw him give almost whenever he could, and also lend a helping hand to friends and family members. I liked how it made them feel and the way they loved him, so I always said to myself, Be like dad when you grow up. In fact, in my elementary school yearbook one time, I registered philanthropist as my dream job. I didn't care that I would have first needed a well-paying job or business or maybe even a charity to become a philanthropist. That's how badly I wanted to be a giver. I may have overdone it at times though. I remember one time where I gave a classmate of mine my lunch money for an entire term when they told me they had to walk miles to school because they couldn't afford the bus. Turns out they were actually using their bus money to play video games in a shop after school, and I was only fueling their addiction by giving them more money. Worst part was that I didn't even stop giving it to them after the school authorities had caught them in the act. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The first time I truly reconsidered the whole cheerful giver thing was when a friend of my father betrayed him. I was still quite young, so I didn't fully understand at the time until he fully explained it to me. Apparently, he and his friend agreed to a business deal where he would finance the entire procurement process and get back his money and half of the profits in return. This sounds like a good deal if you're doing it with a friend who you think you can trust, but my dad's friend simply used this money to move himself and his family out of the country, then fully cut ties with my dad till this day. My dad was devastated, and the whole thing took a toll on his health and our family finances. The craziest part was that despite this, my father remained the same. He never said, oh no, I was scammed, so now I'll never help anyone out again. He never changed. 
When he told me the story, it hurt me, but seeing his reaction to it made me feel that it would all be okay in the end, and that I didn't have to change my mentality because of a single incident. Anyways, away from all of those childhood experiences, I was growing up and seeing the world in a way any prepubescent boy would. When I got to high school, I found out that it was vastly different to elementary school, and there were a lot of very unique characters. In elementary school, most kids are truly innocent, and we're not usually trying to one-up each other, so you could trust most of them, even if there were a few bad eggs. In the high school I attended, it was a different ballgame entirely. That was my first experience with kids from broken homes, kids with negligent parents and kids with literally no parents. The people were different, their traumas and experiences were also different, so their behaviors were obviously different to what I'd been used to. Personally, I tried not to change, but in an environment like that, it's pretty hard not to, honestly. In the beginning, I remained generous and was always willing to offer a helping hand whenever I could, but it looked like people were taking advantage of me. Like one time when I told a supposed friend of mine where I kept my money in my school bag so he could get himself something to eat, and three days later the entire money in my school bag went missing. I eventually found out that he told a group of boys where I kept my money and watched them steal it. I was pissed, but I wasn't reactionary, so I just stopped putting my money there rather than confront the boys or reporting the case. Maybe I should have made them pay, but it just wasn't who I was. A similar thing happened to me again when I became a boarding student in the 8th grade. This time it was my bunkmate whom I trusted with everything I had that was the culprit. I used to keep my pocket money in cereal boxes locked up in my traveling box underneath the bed. Nothing too confidential, but it was going to take a concentrated effort to get those cereal boxes out and find the money. I and my bunkmate were supposed to be brothers looking out for each other, so we shared the locations of our valuables with each other but he sold me, where I hid my key, out to some notorious seniors in exchange for some of my cornflakes. Once I found out, I was broken. Not because of what I lost, but the fact that my bunkmate did that over something I would have given him if he just asked. It was so obvious that the cereal was just a secondary reward for him. He just wanted to see me in pain. From then on, I made a promise to never be that overly generous guy anymore. I was going to harden my heart, or so I thought. Years went by and I was now in the university, a very changed man with a different outlook on the world, at least in terms of how I perceived what I defined as help. I actually lost a few friends after I changed because it turned out they were only friends with me because of what they stood to benefit. I'd been away from my dad for close to a decade by that time, so my entire inspiration for being the most helpful person ever had mostly faded and all I had was the PTSD from my previous tries. I made new friends in the university. I never had a problem making new friends, and they were really cool people. They didn't like me for what they could benefit from me. Heck, they didn't even know what they could benefit from me at the beginning of all of our friendships. I was a totally different man, and kept most of my privileges low-key. My friends always found out eventually though, but only after they'd become my friends, so it was all good. I was always down to be helpful as long as it's not the reason for the relationship. Anyway, as time went on, my friend circle grew. You know how it goes. From the friend of a friend to a classmate to a faculty mate and so on, my friendship selection process got weaker as I needed to make as many connections as possible to survive in such a difficult environment. At first this wasn't an issue because it was super helpful. 
But over time, some people tend to overestimate their importance in your life, and they start to nudge themselves into spaces you probably don't want them to be in. This was the case with a friend to one of the guys in my initial friend group. I can't really put my hand on when we first met or how her face became so common in my spaces. She just appeared, honestly. I probably found out she was friends with my buddy after our third or fourth hangout. Hangouts in the university could be anything from a pool party to being in the backseat of chemistry class. Her face became so common, you could barely tell that she wasn't in our close circle a few months prior. I won't lie, I warmed up to her because she was pretty cool and easygoing with most people, and that was an attribute which I admired, so that's how she became one of the bros. I must tell you, having a girl as one of the bros cannot be understated, especially when you're in the university. All the months where my closest friend circle was all guys, we made a joint meal maybe four or five times. When we had a girl join in, she was making us meals like every other day. Now, I know you might want to attack us for our gross incompetence in the kitchen and probably in life as a whole, but I think I should mention to you that we were all boys from decent families, so we had people help us do a lot of basic stuff growing up. Of course, for some of us, going to boarding school changed most of that, but we weren't allowed to cook there, so that issue persisted. I learned to cook a bit from watching my mom do her magic in the kitchen, but I didn't learn enough variety for self-sustenance. Then there was the big issue of self-motivation towards cooking for a group of boys. I don't know how my mom did it with me and all of my brothers, but having to sort all those ingredients into a recipe looked like calculus to me. That's why I, along with my boys, welcomed a female into the group for the very first time. To be honest, aside her tasty meals, she was actually into a few things we loved too, like animals and science. So it wasn't like we were using her for her chefing skills. That was just a bonus that benefited everyone. In response, we usually got her most of what she wanted as long as it was within our means. It was a perfect relationship, especially as none of us harbored any non-platonic feelings towards her, as that could have easily have damaged the dynamics of the relationship. However, I think we might have spoiled her because a few months after she basically became one of us, she started to demand much more than usual. I got it when she asked for stuff on her birthday or days where she was celebrating something, but as soon as we all let our guards down, she began to change. The first time I noticed the changes in our female friend was when we were going through our regular cycle of having literally no money. We lived well above the average on campus, so we usually had big bills to pay and bill paying period left us with no money most of the time. In one of such periods, our female friend told us how her father had fallen ill and was unable to sort her school fees for that semester. We were never going to allow any of our friends to go through such problems, but that period was so tight that we could barely even raise a quarter, but we explained the situation to her nonetheless. To our greatest shock, she only begrudgingly accepted what we could offer as if she was entitled to the entire money from us. This was the first red flag but none of us saw it, and life continued after the incident. I also noticed that she began to feed us less of her wonderful cooking. I'm not saying she should have continued because it was probably the wake-up call we needed, but I noticed it nevertheless. Those things might look huge in hindsight, but at this point in time, they were too subtle for their motive to be truly noticed. I'm not proud saying this, but we were oblivious to a lot of things that happened outside our bubble. I didn't even know anything that went on in the personal lives of anyone that wasn't in my circle. That's how bad it was. 
Not caring too much about the personal lives of people around you means you know too much about those in your circle because they will tell you everything. We all knew, or thought, our female's friend father was sick, but we didn't know what he was suffering with until one day she came out clean to tell us something pretty shocking. He had been diagnosed with cancer. I won't lie, I don't know the man, but it sent chills down my spine. She also told us that he needed surgery as soon as possible or he was going to be dead within a couple of months. She wasn't from a rich or even middle class home, so we knew she couldn't afford it, but we had to do something. The fee was quite large and even a crowdfunding effort between us wouldn't have been enough. On one hand, we were considering creating awareness for her father's case around the school, but none of us had the know-how or zeal to go through such a process of asking random people for financial aid. We were usually the financial aid, so we decided to reach out to our various homes to ask for help. I had to lie to my dad that I needed money for a project and a couple of my friends did the same. Then I also emptied my entire bank savings and lent some money for my elder sister, but sadly the money was still not enough. Luckily for us, she knew an agency that gave out low-interest loans to people in desperate need, so all she needed to do was register. She didn't have a laptop, so she made me do the entire process for her with mine and gave me all the credentials I needed to take the loan in her name. When we successfully raised the money, I was feeling like the power of friendship had just saved a poor man from death. But after we'd thought we had settled it all, something suspicious happened. It had been a month since we celebrated raising the funds for our friend's father's surgical operation, and we hadn't seen her ever since. In our minds, we were truly worried, especially as we couldn't reach her. We thought the worst had happened. We weren't even thinking about all the money we raised because it was a worthless worry at that point. We once tried to declare her missing but the authorities confirmed to us that she was indeed alive, which was a relief, but we still felt she had been avoiding school because something bad had happened during the operation. We were just hoping our friend was okay, but what we saw was the shock of our lives. One day, we decided to go to the mall to cool off from all the schoolwork and thoughts of our grieving friend. While we were chilling in the parking lot, one of my buddies saw a lady come out of a nice looking car and alerted us. We were unable to believe our eyes. It was our friend and she was okay. We all rushed towards her to know what had happened, but a huge guy came out through the driver's seat to basically try to fend us off before she let him know she was cool with us. But this whole misunderstanding was enough excuse for her to dodge the questions we threw at her, so it was left for us to do our own investigations. On further investigation, we discovered that the huge guy from earlier was actually her boyfriend. When I said we were oblivious, I meant it because it also turned out that he was a scam artist. I began to connect the dots and found out a possibility that he had used our female friend to extort money off us and that the father suffering with cancer thing was probably an elaborate part of the plan. After some more research into the situation, it turned out that all of my fears were valid. They had indeed scammed us off our money and used the loan she took to make it more believable. It was even more crazy when I found out that most of the money was used to buy the nice car we saw them come out of at the mall. Despite reading all this, I still needed to hear her confirm the allegations for herself. So I tried to reach out over the phone several times, but I couldn't get her. I was finally able to see her on campus alone one day and confronted her about the situation. But rather than be remorseful or possibly terrified, she seemed to rub it in that she was never in it for the friendship. 
and that it was all a plan from the beginning. Her words truly broke my spirit. All these years, I thought I'd moved on from being such a fool, but it turned out I was wrong. At that point, there was only one thing on my mind. After our altercation, I let my friends know of her reaction and every word she said. They had all lost money to the scam too, and because we mostly lie to our parents to source the money, it was going to be hard to build a case to get it back. The only thing we could truly do was get our revenge in one way or another. Luckily for us, fate had me planned for that very moment. Remember earlier during the funds sourcing process when I helped her secure a loan in her name? Turned out, I still had her credentials stored in my PC, even to the most minute detail. So I told my friends and the plan was simple. We take a huge loan in her name. We didn't just take a huge loan, we maxed out the loan limit, set a short payback period, and set more generally unfavorable terms. That's how badly we wanted to get back at her. We took out even more than what we had raised for the farcical operation and sat back as the results came out, and boy do I tell you, the results were quite stupendous. Her boyfriend had to sell the car after using it for less than a month, and it still wasn't enough for them to repay the loan. According to some mutuals who knew them, they also had to sell most of their other properties because the deadline was set pretty close. She probably knew it was us behind the whole thing, but there was nothing she could do because there was no true evidence she could use against us. We might have taken a loan in her name, but she was the one who got paid back. So I guess my question is... What did they do with the money when they got the loan? Because I'm willing to bet with a large sum of money, you're going to be like afraid that they're going to come for it, that there's going to be some kind of legal action. Where do you try to like stash that? You can't just like hide it away in some bank account, right? And I guess the second question is, once you have waited long enough that you feel, okay, maybe they're not going to come after this money, do you pay back all the people that you took money from? Or do you just continue that lie that it all went to somebody who had cancer? Although this revenge was done, it left me with even more questions about what happened afterwards. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.